Hello, you lovely lot. I wanted to take a moment to share an exciting announcement with you all. I will be doing a live show for Happy Mum, Happy Baby at the podcast show in London on the 22nd of May. This will be a live episode of this very podcast featuring me and a very special soon-to-be-announced guest. Get ready for a candid conversation, unfiltered truths, laughs, invaluable non-judgmental advice and lived experiences. Dive into the complexities of parenting while juggling work, relationships and personal growth and we'll be talking beyond the baby years. As well as the live episode, the show will also include a Q&A with both me and my guest. Tickets go on sale this Friday the 26th of April at 10am, but anyone who is part of the Happy Mum, Happy Baby newsletter will be getting early access to tickets on Wednesday the 24th of April at 10am. To sign up to the newsletter and for more information about the event, please head to happymumhappybaby.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Welcome to Happy Mum, Happy Baby, Asking for a Friend. Asking for a friend? What's that all about, I hear you ask? Well, in this brand new edition of Happy Mum, Happy Baby, the podcast, we're taking a break from our usual brilliant guests to take a deep dive into the many issues surrounding pregnancy, birth and the early years. Our Happy Mum, Happy Baby community is thriving and I love you all so very much that I thought it felt timely to look into some of the topic areas that we discuss and answer some of those questions that you all send in. So, for asking for a friend, I've assembled a group of experts, mums and specialists in very, very different areas, people we trust to give you the best answers possible to some of those big parenting questions. And throughout this special series, we'll be tackling a whole host of big issues from your pelvic floor to your mental health from weaning to bedwetting from teething to trauma we'll be discussing the issues that can affect all of us through our parenting journeys and this week in our very first episode we are talking about gut health we're told that the microbes in your stomach can affect all areas of your health from immunity to anxiety and disease. So after you've had a baby, how can you keep it in the best shape, both inside and out? But not only that, personally, I really want to look at children's gut health and how we can help them. And um, Because one of my kids actually is a little bit anxious and I feel like that's coming out in his tummy. He keeps talking about his tummy aches that he's having. So I'm actually going to use today's podcast episode to help myself, if that's okay with you. I think it will help all of us because it turns out that gut health and stress are actually really related. Our expert this week is Dr. Megan Rossi, a registered dietitian and nutritionalist with a PhD in gut health. Dr. Rossi leads research at King's investigating nutrition-based therapies in gut health, including pre- and probiotic dietary fibres, the low FODMAP, food map? FODMAP. FODMAP. It's an acronym, don't worry about it. No, <laughs> I, well, you're going to tell me what that is. And food additives. Uh, she also leads the Gut Health Clinic and is the author of Sunday Times bestseller, Eat Yourself Healthy and Eat More, Live Well. Hello, 
Hello. <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. I mean, uh, talk about expert. You've got so much going on. You really know your stuff. You know what? I obviously did not think I'd ever get into gut health, you know. Well, how? How does that yeah. happen? I know. Well, when I was actually studying nutrition and dietetics back, you know, 15 or so years ago, I actually lost my grandma to bowel cancer. And my mum was a single mum, so my grandma had a really big part in my upbringing. So I actually had a really negative relationship with the gut. But then I started working with all different types of people as after graduating, so both in the hospital setting with really quite sick people. Yeah. But also I was very fortunate to be the nutritionist for the Australian Olympic synchronised swimming team. And what I found you know, so striking is despite all these people's very different backgrounds, they're coming to me complaining of the gut. Right. And I was like, what is it about this organ? It's haunting me, right? I was like, Gah. So I, it was 2010, I started to like look more into the research and there was just starting to be more studies coming out about the bacteria in our gut. And I thought, you know what, I owe it to my grandma and to my patients to understand more about this. So that's yeah. when I did the PhD and it revolutionised my relationship with the gut. It became so clear that actually nourishing the gut, understanding it and loving it could improve people's lives in very real and often surprising ways. So at that point, I was like, you know what? Yes, it's dealing with poo all the time, but I'm so up for it because this is how I'm going to have my impact and help people in a really remarkable way. Well, and as a parent, I think you become <laughs> fully invested in poo from day dot. Yeah, yeah. Now I actually have little Archie's uh, poo to experiment on more so, but um, it helps, I think, t other parents, you know, talk about poo is that I've been dealing with it for, you know, 15 years in the yeah. research world, you know, exploring it. It offers so much information. But, you know, gut health is so much more than just poo. It does doesn't need to be all icky and geeky. We're finding out, like you highlighted before, these trillions of bacteria that lives in our gut is transforming things. Things like our mental health can be improved mm. by nourishing our gut bacteria. You know, our risk of things like different types of cancers, you know, type 2 diabetes, all of this sort of stuff. The research is, is remarkable. And your gut, I used to think that it was just your tummy or your intestines, but actually it's far bigger than that. Yeah, nine metres, G. Whoa! Yeah. Every one of us of nine years coiled up. So essentially this hollow tube that delivers food from entry all the way to exit. That's yeah. the gut health. And along that lives those trillions of bacteria. We actually contain more bacteria than we do human cells in our bodies. So there's so many of them. And we've only just in the last, I guess, couple of years appreciated that so many things we thought humans did, like produce different vitamins and hormones, actually it's the bacteria doing it. Oh. Yeah, we couldn't survive without these like little things living within us. That's fascinating. And I can remember the first podcast I listened to. It was with Dr. Chatterjee talking to another doctor and, and saying about how even throughout generations and stuff, how we've lost, lost because the bacteria was almost being passed around, like how you would pick up your, like, almost like in a pub, but not at all, <laughs> like your hands going into the same bowl, but passing around berries and stuff. You know, everyone's got different sort of bacteria, like if you like, on your their hands, they pass it around and then your that feeds your gut in a way. Absolutely. There's like, the bacteria in the air. So like when you go for a walk in the forest, actually you're ingesting some beneficial bacteria, you know, playing in the dirt. I think we've become really quite, you know, too clean with our kids. Which and that's really hard now because of COVID. Exactly. Yeah. So I call it clean 
green dirt. <laughs> so if you're going to like a natural environment, like, you know, the bush or the forest, yeah. absolutely get the kids involved in the dirt. If you're going on public transport, you know, maybe then sterilise the <laughs> hands. But it is really important. There's this concept called the hygiene hypothesis, which is suggesting that this massive increase in rates of different allergies and things like eczema mm. is thought to be related to the fact that we've become too clean with our kids. We're wiping down benches, yeah. you know, eight times a day. And this was, you know, even before COVID. And what happens, particularly in the first, we call it thousand years of life for kids, is that the bacteria that they pick up actually is really important for training the immune system because 70% of our immune system lives in our guts. The bacteria are like the trainers of that immune system. So mm -hmm. if we don't allow our, our kids to kind of experience more diverse range of bacteria by picking them up from the, you know, the, the dirt, so to speak, then they're not able to get the right community of bacteria to train the immune system of what they should react to and what they shouldn't. So, yeah, that's what a lot of the research is kind of looking at the moment, you know, getting parents to think, actually, do I need to over-sterilise my children? Actually, can they go and play, you know, with a furry pet? And and the science has shown that having a furry pet, particularly in the younger years, actually significantly reduces kids' risk of things like allergies. And we think that, again, is... That's fascinating, isn't microbes. it? I yeah. guess, I know that you grew up on a farm, but I, I wonder if, because people would have been growing up with farm animals or, you know, other animals around, that they would have just been exposed to that naturally anyway. Absolutely. And, you know, I have a bit of parent guilt <laughs> raising Archie in, a, in, you know, <laughs> North London, very sterile sort of place. But, you know, it's not about trying to release any guilt there. You know, yeah. we live in a de very different world. Yeah. But it's about thinking, OK, well, you know what, we're going to go to the, the forest and I'm going to get Archie in the dirt playing as much as he can. We've got a, a pet, a little pistachio, a little dog. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you don't have a dog, then, you know, find your neighbour who's got a dog and let yeah. them kind of play together. So kind of just looking at what you've got and try and make the most of it. That's quite... I, I feel like if I was a parent listening, I'd be... Well, I am a parent listening. It's that... Also, that being told that you can allow your kids to get dirty, taking out that pressure of having to have a really clean house, having to make sure your kids look pristine. Like I know that I can put clean clothes on my kids in the morning and then we go out and within five minutes, I don't even think we've left the door and they've already got something down them or they've been out in the garden, there's grass stains, whatever. And actually that's, that's okay. We that's don't beneficial. have to be pristine. There we go. It's good for their health. <laughs> Absolutely is. But I also think that because, like, in the way that you're talking about it, that's what makes this, it's not a fad diet. It's not a diet. It's actually realising what's going on internally because you are linking, you know, the bacteria that we pick up and the food that we eat. It's all part of your gut. It's not about cutting out processed meat or anything or, you know, not like keto or whatever it is that you, you know, the fad is that's going on at the moment. It's actually, it's something that you have to just be mindful of and, and it takes you through life. Absolutely. And I think, you know, our understanding of gut health has really helped us appreciate, I guess, the importance of food. And like you said, it's not about cutting out foods. In fact, yeah. you know, one of my key principles is thinking about inclusion, not exclusion. Well, I mean, you arrived and there was a plate of chocolate biscuits and I was like, oh, Megan's not going to have a chocolate biscuit. <laughs> I am absolutely having a chocolate biscuit. I mean... Chocolate is one of my favourite foods. I would never, <laughs> ever give it up. But, you know, it's about thinking, OK, I'm going to have this chocolate, but why don't I you know, have a handful of mixed nuts or some dried fruit kind of mix in that, some sprinkle and some seeds, you know, yeah. especially when you're feeding the kids. And I think this understanding that we're not only feeding the human cells in our body, but we're feeding the gut bacteria. And the gut bacteria are doing things like, you know, helping with our mood, mm. helping with our risk of chronic 
conditions. So it's actually quite empowering to know that, you know, nourishing the bacteria with their favourite food, which is plants, and you can add whatever you want as your favourite food, nourishing them, actually you can really take control of a lot of the conditions that I think we think, oh, just runs in the family, you know, heart disease, those sorts of things, as well as supporting our kids' mental health. And, you know, I think getting the kids to appreciate that they've got trillions of little pets inside of them from day dot actually can help them embrace more of these plant foods. So, hey, you know what? You might not like broccoli, but I know the little pets inside you really do. Mm. And they'll look after you. So if you feed them that, they'll be really happy. Talking to kids like that, you know, I see it with schools all the time. And, you know, my nephew, it really does getting get them think differently about a lot of the, the plants that they were like, oh, yuck, gross, I'm yeah. not having that. I went foraging at the weekend. With an actual expert, so I wasn't just in the gar- in the woods, like, picking stuff. But I think that's something the kids would really enjoy doing. Like, if you do it properly or get one of the apps that, you know, because it turns out there's a lot out there that can kill you <laughs> within two minutes. That's <laughs> what our expert kept telling Very us. Safe. But, yeah. But just, you know, I, I feel like that's something that would really get them involved and, and excited about these different things that they can eat that are just there. You know, the plants that are literally, we think they're just weeds, but actually... They're there and they can really help your body. Yeah, and there's, there's science that shows that, you know, if a kid doesn't like vegetables, for example, you say, okay, well, how about we go to the farmer's markets? We'll pick one. You get it's, you have complete control over it. You pick whatever you want and they bring it home. They cook with it. You know, they cut it up, obviously, mm. if, depending on the age. They flavour it and they're much more likely to eat that vegetable versus if they're just told eat this. So they need to take them on that journey. And it's not about perfection. A lot of parents that I see in clinic, you know, their kids don't want to eat any plants yes. at all. Yeah. But you just start one one at a time, like one week. This is your veg that you're going to try. And I guess when we think about the plants that our bacteria really love and how we nourish them, there's a lot of people think, oh, it's just fruit and veg. But actually, we call them these, or I call them the super six. So six different categories. And I think it's worth parents just, again, not having to be perfect, but getting an idea that actually there's these six different categories and each category provides our gut bacteria with different things. So there's the whole grains, there's the nuts and seeds, fruit, veg, legumes, your beans and pulses and your herbs and your spices. I love that herbs and spices are its own category. Yeah, because you know. they're so powerful and they mm. really do nourish nourish the body. So it's just thinking, you know what, we haven't had any beans and pulses all week. And a lot of kids who are a little bit older think, oh, God, I'm not having them. But there's so many ways you can just sneak them in. For example, my spinach and ricotta ravioli or little pasta shells, take out half the, the cheese and add a can of mixed beans in. Super cheap, makes it much cheaper. Yeah. And the kids don't even notice. Like it still tastes, you know, so creamy from the cheese. So it's just little things like that, how you can add in those extra plants and the taste buds regenerate every 10 or so days. Really? Yeah. Because that's what I've always thought about. Because if I think about my, like growing up, there were many foods that I didn't eat. But as an adult, I eat all of it. Yeah. So how much of it is actually your taste buds and not having them to try or just the first off being so different to what you normally taste that you discard it? Is it a case of literally just try and try again? Absolutely. I mean, it depends where the where you're at in terms of the, the kid's age. So yeah. we know role modelling is really important, even if they don't like the food, if they're seeing you constantly eat it. So I always, in front of little Archie, who's, you know, only 13 months, I'm like, nom, 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 and don't make him have any, but he starts to grab it because he's yeah. watching me. So even if it's quite a bitter taste, he's actually really, he loves it now because he's watching me. So role modelling is really important. You know, teaching them about the gut bacteria, kind of getting them on board. If they don't like a veg, if they're a little bit older, teaching them, actually, it's going to help little pets. That's a good 
strategy. But then, like yeah. you highlighted, the flavour and the taste. Yeah. You know, it is really, I think, important to ensure that when you're giving uh, kids different plants that they do taste nice. Yeah. You want to eat them as well. Yeah. Like Brussels, boiled Brussels sprouts. No one's going to like them. But, hey, if you turn it into a pesto, add some walnuts in there, some parmesan, some garlic, you can make it really delicious. And highlighting that, you know, any food can taste bad if you cook it wrong. Mm -hmm. So it's just a few little tweaks in the kitchen. For example, if you're roasting veg, add some olive oil on, you know, some garlic. It's going to really bring out that flavour and the kids are going to enjoy it much more. And then, of course, the more you add, the more their taste buds regenerate. The bacteria in their mouth also helps to make them crave plants more. So starting early. So on these Asking for a Friend episodes, we ask you to share the three questions that you are asked the most. So what is your first most asked question when it comes to gut health? I think... Probably, what should I feed my child? Yeah, yeah, it's tough. Yeah, it is really tough. But like I highlighted, it's, it's quite similar to what adults should be eating. You don't need to be preparing a separate meal. Mm. So like I said, there's those super six. And think where you can, trying to include something from each of those super six. So, for example, whatever you're having for breakfast, you know, could be Cocoa Pops. Add in a teaspoon of mixed seeds. My kids will be so happy yeah. with you right now, Megan. <laughs> Turns out, kids, you can have the Cocoa Pops. Just here's a, here's a spoon for the seeds to go on top. Inclusion or exclusion. You know, you've got yes. to get kids thinking, you know what, I can still have, you know, foods that taste yummy for me, but I'm going to add in some extra plants. And whether it's because they're feeding their gut bacteria or just being generally healthy, whatever kind of works for your family, I think that's a really important one. Some parents will be a little bit worried about nuts. What is the safest way to introduce nuts to children? Yeah, there's really interesting research about how we add them in. And there's a study called the LEAP study where they're suggesting that from earlier on, we actually start to add in nuts, particularly if they're high risk. Mm-hmm. So I would recommend if you've got a family history of a nut allergy that you chat to your, your dietitian or your GP. Um, but they are recommending from around four months of age, oh, wow. giving it a quarter of a teaspoon of nuts. Yeah. Um because that's shown to reduce baby's risk. So earlier introduction is thought to be important. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole world of, of research around allergies and yeah. looking after kids' microbiome, reducing yeah. their risk of allergies there. But, I, yeah, I would start with a, a peanut butter. Oh, what's another question that you get asked a lot? I would say eczema is a really common one, um, particularly because the research is highlighting the importance of gut health and eczema risk. So a lot of uh, parents say to me, well, should I take a probiotic? My kid's got eczema. I need to get rid of it. And we know eczema certainly on the, on the rise, and that's where one of the hygiene hypothesis theories comes about. So there is certainly that link there. Mm. But at the moment, there is not good quality evidence that you should be taking a probiotic to cure eczema. However, there is actually really good quality evidence. The World Allergy Organization actually recommends if you've got a family history of eczema, whether it's yourself with eczema or your your husband or or, um, someone close to you, related to you, then actually taking a specific probiotic during your pregnancy and if you're able to breastfeed while breastfeeding, reduces eczema risk by about 50%. Really strong. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of prevention, it's really strong, but it's not any probiotic. I think the whole word of probiotics, for those who don't know, they're the live microbes. Yeah. You've got prebiotics and probiotics. What are they? What's One the letter difference. difference. I yeah. mean, it's so confusing. So prebiotic is a food that feeds a good bacteria. Now, okay. I very rarely recommend people take a prebiotic because you get it from all your foods. If you're getting a 
30 different plants a week, you're definitely getting enough prebiotics. And then the probiotics is those live microbes. Now, the world of probiotics is very confused. You know, media saying, take them one week. Next week, they're saying, don't waste your money. Right. The reality of it is kind of, or the truth of it is in between. It's kind of like vitamins and minerals. So if you have iron deficiency, you're not going to go and take a vitamin D supplement and expect your iron deficiency to improve, are you? Because they're different things. Yeah. The same goes with probiotics, annoyingly. Okay. Each different type of bacteria does different things. So you need to make sure you're taking the specific one which has the evidence for that specific indication. So it can be a little bit prescriptive like medication, but if we want the benefit of probiotics, that's the way we need to treat it. So certainly wouldn't recommend just taking any off the shelf and thinking, hey, yeah, I'm doing it. If, if you, you know, like I said, with the reducing your risk of eczema in your bub, the type is called Lactobacillus raminus, uh, HNOO1 is a type Sounds of Sounds like a little bit like a spell from Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. But that's, if you want like that therapeutic benefit that's kind of where we go. And where do you get that? Uh, it's online so that it's a I can't remember what the brand is we can put it in the show notes. Okay. It's actually from New Zealand uh, that the strain has come from. Oh. I always recommend that that product for my clients. Uh, what is the final question? I think it would be C-sections. Right. We know that in, in about 10 to 15 percent of pregnancies for medical reasons, they need to have C-sections. Yeah. And I get a lot of mothers who are in that category and go, oh, my God, I've ruined my baby's gut health because they've they've read that, you know, C-sections compared to vaginal births, babies are slightly high risk of allergies and things like obesity. And that is thought mechanistically because during C-section that babies are exposed to the, the mother's microbiome, the vaginal microbiome, but also mm -hmm. the fecal microbiome because I'm sure you're aware as when you deliver, most people do deliver um, some stool as well. And yeah. that inoculates the baby. Wow. Again, helping the baby's immune system to be trained by these bacteria. So we certainly do see this in the research that having a C-section may slightly increase your bub's risk. Okay. Um, but don't stress out if you fall into that category where you have to. There is, you know, things like breastfeeding we know is incredibly helpful for establishing the baby's microbiome. So mm -hmm. the breast milk not only has bacteria in it, but also about a third of it is prebiotic. So that PRE biotic word, which feeds the gut bacteria. Again, I know there's struggles with, with breastfeeding, um, but if you are having a C-section, it might place a little bit more importance on mm -hmm. if you can for, you know, an extra month breastfeed. And then there's things like as the baby develops, you know, helping it play in the dirt and, you know, <laughs> expose it to bacteria and from the, your puppy. And, you know, when you start to reintroduce or introduce foods, you know, trying to get that plant diversity in there as well. So don't stress. But what I would say is that in some places, C-section rates are like up to 60% because, yeah, let's be honest, part of my personality is like, I'd love it, you know, be able to know when the delivery is happening, mm. you know, have all the medical team around. But we know that, you know, the chances of allergies and things are slightly higher. So if you can go naturally, that's a great one. And another, I guess, kind of fun experiment um, that's happening at the moment is looking at vaginal seeding. Have you heard of this no. before? Again, I wouldn't recommend it until we have more research studies, but some pilot studies have highlighted. So mothers who have to have a C-section, they, as soon as the baby's delivered, they inoculate the baby with the mother's vaginal microbiome and fecal microbiome by just getting a gauze and that helps the baby's microbiome to look more like a, a natural birth compared yeah, yeah. to the C-section. Um, wow. And when I was having Archie, I um, 
obviously being all up with science, I was like, I'm doing this in case I had to have emergency C-section. So I packed my kit. Luckily, my husband's a GP, so he was on board with okay. the mechanism of, of it. Didn't need to use it because I had natural birth. But I think with more research, again, there's risk attached, so I wouldn't recommend people do it unless they're an expert in that space. You know, this might be the future of helping people who have a C-section to kind of help their baby reduce those risk of allergies. Amazing. But if they do go down the C-section, it's not the end of the world. Not you can pick up in other areas. Absolutely can. So we've asked you for your top three questions, most asked, but we actually put it out to the Happy Mum, Happy Baby community. So many questions have come in. I Honestly, every episode that we've done, I just can't believe how many people go, oh, that topic, I want to know this. So we'll, we'll take our time. Some are actually just more about the adult and mm-hmm. then some are more about parenting. Do you have simple tips on how to support your gut health? Because this is such a huge area. I guess it can be quite overwhelming to, to kind of go, okay, I'm going to do this. and uh, How? Yeah. So think about adding in an extra plant per week into your diet that you haven't had. That's it. One extra plant each week. Because we know that these plants, you know, really are game changing for your bacteria. I don't recommend you need to take a supplement. You know, it's just adding in an extra plant because it's got, you know, humble apple contains over 300 plant chemicals. Wind in pregnancy. Is that anything to do with your gut? Yeah, look, you have a lot of pressure um, pushing into your gut. So what happens with wind is completely normal. You know, the average person on a high fibre diet passes wind about 15 to 20 times a day. That's normal, guys. Don't worry about it. (laughs) But of course, there are scenarios where if you can't hold it back, it can be embarrassing. Mm -hmm. If, you know, it's excessive and the smell is really bad, then that can be really um, intimidating. It can really impact your quality of life, in which case there's definitely many things you can do about it but and again I go through in the first book all the strategies to get on top of wind if it's really bothering you so definitely check that one out but if it's just you know a little bit of extra wind with pregnancy again that's completely fine it's just the case that you've got you know this fetus growing in in you in terms of pushing on your intestine Mm. and it can slow down the movement of food through your intestine so food sticks in your intestine a little bit longer which means the bacteria have more time to ferment that food and produce a little bit of gas and that gas then can come out the back end. So if you're noticing that, you know, the wind is bothering you, what I would say is we still want you to have plenty of plants, Mm -hmm. but maybe reduce down the amount and slowly build it up because our gut becomes really adaptable to to the gas. So mm-hmm. if you go from not much fiber to a lot of fiber, your bacteria produce a lot of gas and that kind of gets trapped in your gut and comes out the back end. Right. But if you go really slowly, the same amount of gas is produced, but your body actually absorbs that gas and it comes out and you breathe it out instead of it coming out your back end. Ah. So slow, gradual increase in fiber is best if, if the flatulence is, is bothering you. Okay. Kind of t- uh, linked to that, what effect do hormones have on your gut, i.e. period poo? Period poo. Love period poo. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm sure every female's noticed that around their periods their poop gets a little bit loose. Mm. And that's just the change in the hormones which change how we absorb the fluid in our gut and the movement of that. So if that's bothering you, then things like reducing down the amount of caffeine you're having, spicy food, instead of having three big meals a day, you might want to have five smaller meals. All that sort of stuff can help reduce down kind of the looseness of the poop. In terms of hormones, we know that 
it's kind of a two-way communication. And I talk about this gut hormone link in the book where we know that things like estrogen, for example, our bacteria are actually really important help in helping to recycle estrogen. Mm. And they've, they've, had some amazing research highlighting that people who add more plants into their diet, females going through the menopause, therefore feeding their gut bacteria, because remember plants essentially is our bacteria's food, not human food, they have a significant reduction around 20% in hot flushes. So we know that nourishing the bacteria can really help with hormonal control, PCOS, endometriosis, all of those sorts of things. Um, We see that bacteria are a bit out of whack, unbalanced. And then of course we know, I mentioned about the period period, that their hormone changes can also impact the gut bacteria. And that's why, again, we, we see those looser poops. So it is a two-way communication that occurs there. Yeah, it's interesting. The next question was actually about perimenopause and what's good for you to eat. But even with me, and so I've got PCOS, and I can remember when I was trying for a baby, reading a book that was all about, don't eat this, don't do this, don't do that. And I was like, well, what can I eat? When actually, if it is just about more plants and just thinking about it in that way what can I include rather than exclude it does make you feel like you can cope with it a little bit more absolutely I want to if we have show notes I want to put a screenshot of just like 15 different ways to add more plants into your diet that's literally so simple so what you do is you choose one of them that Mm -hmm. you're going to do for that week and it just empowers you with a really simple literally takes one minute to do way to include more plants without that negative mindset and I mean we're, we're seeing research come out around the importance of you know fertility in our gut health and I see people in clinic who've been caught up in these really restrictive diets because they've read it's good for the gut bacteria and I'm like you're doing the opposite like it's not great you know focus on just de-stressing firstly because mm-hmm. you know that gut brain axis having a lot of stress up here can have a negative impact on, on gut bacteria and just making you know one extra one extra change to your diet by adding an extra plant that's it I don't want you to do anything else don't do this big diet overhaul because you're going to do more harm than good okay uh, how does stress affect your gut and also with that as a parent where life does get stressful Sometimes it's, re- it's so good, so easy for people to go, just de-stress. How can you help your gut, help your mind? Like, I feel like it's a little bit of a cycle that you've got to, you know, how can you help? And what's the starting point of that? Yeah, look, it's a two-way communication, similar to the gut hormone axis. Yeah. There's a gut brain axis. So our gut and brain are constantly communicating. So if you're stressed up here in your head, that's going to essentially strangle your gut. And no matter what you eat, that's not going to digest very well. And you're going to get a little bit of a sore tummy mm. or change in poops. And then you can have a negative association with certain foods. You think it's that food when actually, you know what? It's just the act of eating if you're strangled. So in those scenarios, if, if that's what you're going through, doing, you know, two minutes of belly breathing before you eat. So I would never recommend... Even while you're serving up dinner. Yeah, a little bit exactly. Of Don't okay. eat on a stressed tummy because it's just going to make things worse. So belly breathing really, this is, like I said, the two-way communication, it's called the vagus nerve is one of the main pathways. So doing belly breathing, breathing in and out, the scientific name is diaphragmic breathing, can really help relax that vagus nerve. So it really allows your gut to be able to digest that food much more. And actually you end up feeling more relaxed up here. Mm. Um, So that's, I guess, the stress element. But there's actually really good scientific evidence. If anyone's into the science, look up the SMILES trial I I talk about in the books. But there is 
you know, that hard evidence that shows that nourishing your gut bacteria with plenty of the different plants doesn't need to be plants only. Yeah. You know, just adding in extra plants has a significant improvement, clinical improvement in people's mental health, particularly people who are struggling with things like depression. Because we know that nourishing the bacteria, they produce different chemicals which can help activate different parts of the brain. That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it's really, it's, I, I want people to be empowered by this, to know that actually things that are really getting them down, whether it's, you know, things like depression or family history, making a few little tweaks to your diet can have a measurable impact, you know, and the science is only very new. So let's utilise that science, mm -hmm. I think, and let's get excited and empowered by it. Yeah, absolutely. Can I do this without it being costly? Yes, you can with your tins. Essentially, save your money. Tins. You save yes. money if you cut out the meat and add in, you know, a few cans of mixed legumes. You're literally saving like ten pounds a, a serve yeah. or a, a meal. Like it's a great way. I've become obsessed with my baby's poo. Is it a good indicator of how his gut is doing? The poo. Uh, when they're young is a tricky one. So when we're in, we're adults, we have this Bristol stool chart, essentially. Uh, it shows seven different types of poop. So at mm -hmm. one end, you've got these type one, and the other end is type seven. Type one is these hard Maltesers. Type seven is really loose, like a liquid. Right. And what we're aiming for as adults is a type three, four, or five. Okay. I can see everyone Googling this right now. Going, <laughs> oh, am I having the right type? And then what we know is normal for adults in terms of frequency is anywhere from at least three times a week as a minimum up to three times a day. If you're outside of that, so less than uh, three times a week or more than three times a day, have a chat to your doctor. There's probably a few things that, you know, should be investigated and we can and change and things like that. So we know quite a lot about adult poop. When it's kind of the, the first like three months of kids, of babies, the poo is very different it's all over the shop. And I found this really interesting with Archie. I I, I mean, like, I can just imagine you at every nappy chain just be like, oh, oh my God, what did you have today? So don't stress essentially yeah. um, with the early stages because their body is going through so many different changes. In fact, after the first month, breastfed babies, actually they can go 10 days without pooping because the milk is so in tune to what our body, the baby's body needs. There's nothing really to kind of poop out. And the mm. bacteria only just establishing and things like that. So don't freak out if there's something like blood or mucus and obviously definitely go to your GP. But the first three months, things are all over the shop. As they start to progress, there starts to be more of a habit forming and you notice a sharp change or if they're getting tummy pain, then again, having a chat to... Um, a dietitian might be, you know, the dehydrated or actually not getting enough fibre as they're weaning off the milk and things like that. Right. So, mm. And I guess once they're slightly older than babies, just being aware of their toilet habits as well. Yeah. Because I guess it's tricky when they're then at the age where they're going to the toilet themselves and you aren't aware, so you, you're having to wait for them to come to you and go, oh, it was really loose or, you know. And I, I get my clients to actually look at the Bristol stool chart and get their kids, again, not to fixate on it, but to be aware of the different types that can come out of them and that can provide a little bit of information. And, you know, we all know if we have a curry, our poop can be slightly loose. So it's not fixating on your poop, but it's worth, you know, every couple of weeks having a bit of an eye on, on what's happening and any changes and trends, particularly as we get older and risk of things like bowel cancer and stuff like that, that can be a really important one that I wish my grandma had listened to, mm. would have, you know, saved her and many other, you know, clients and patients that I see. It's a really valuable piece of information. I can remember going on holiday once. There weren't many vegetables on offer that the kids would eat and the poo turned almost white. So the kids noticed and were like, oh, we've got to eat vegetables. And it was, it was fascinating to see them realising, actually, this is what 
one of the things that will happen that that is not healthy poo yeah. right there. They loved it. It's a bit gross, but we loved it. No, no, no. I mean, there is not a meal it. that goes by in our house where we do not talk about poo. It's just standard. Um, well, you can let them know that actually about 50% of their poo is the bacteria. Ah, yeah, fun poo fact for you. Maybe not is. the dinner table, but you know, I mean, I was so desensitized to poo chats at the table. It's amazing. What can I do during and post pregnancy to help my gut? Because I guess at any point in life, you know, this is the point where your body's going through so much. And post pregnancy, you know, when you are in that early stages of motherhood, what can you do that's, you know, we all like the snacking in bed when you're feeding or whatever that, that is. But is it still that thing of just like that? Do what you can, add what you can, diversify. Yeah. Get the whole grain crackers, get some hummus, get the carrot sticks are already cut up for you or hey just eat a whole pepper you know have what you want but just think adding an extra plant there I mean I know the ideal world is we all meal prep during pregnancy and therefore we've got three months worth of food but hey (laughs) that definitely did not happen for me I did a bolognese sauce and a chili con carne I burnt them both this is like a week before I actually went went into labour burnt them both but still put them into Tupperwares they just had a little bit of extra black in them I was like, my pregnancy hormones would not let me get rid of it. It's yeah. going into a tub. It's and fine. I mean, yeah, I mean, pregnancy is is a really important time. We know that, you know, the research does show that can really impact our baby's, you know, development and even their taste preferences. So the fluid the baby's, you know, swimming around in, they've actually tested that. And if we eat things like garlic, they can actually measure it in the fluid in terms of, you know, a taste. And the science has shown that it's just fascinating. So not to mum blame or anything like that, but the studies have shown that, the babies who've been exposed to certain foods during pregnancy, they're more likely to accept it when they've been delivered because they've had that taste exposure already. Because on average, kids need to be exposed to foods about five to ten times often before they start to accept Mm -hmm. from a taste perspective. So kind of keep doing that. But if you do it during pregnancy, now I know particularly during morning sickness, I'm like as if I'm eating plant. Like I am not. I just want beige right now. yeah. Yeah. But things like, you know, making seeded crackers and legume mix that you turn to kind of like nuts and add salt and olive oil to it there are there are ways to add in plants don't have any hot food because it's gonna make you vomit but Mm -hmm. things like you know frittatas like egg frittatas are really great cold to help with the morning sickness so wherever you can again adding in those super six without fixating on it you know it can really be important for pregnancy i did want to add because i think there's a lot of pressure on mums but actually we know that dad's diet um leading up to conception is also important really yeah it is yeah, so they've done studies to show that particularly the first six months pre-conception, um, dad's diet is thought to have an impact on on baby's risk of, of certain chronic conditions as they get older. So pressure not only just on the mum, yeah. getting dad eating, you know, those tin legumes, hide them. Like my husband, I was, was like hiding things left, right and centre. For your husband? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's an NHS GP. You think he'd know better. Um, oh, I mean, my obstetrician was eating the packet biscuits a day. He yeah. was just like, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Um, he's coming around to it because literally I've noticed like his his taste buds have changed. Like yeah. he went and had something like five guys the other night, was with friends, and he was like, I didn't even enjoy it. And he was devastated by the fact that he didn't enjoy it um, because it just, his taste buds can change. But yeah, adding more plants sneakily. Cauli- frozen cauliflower in a smoothie. They really? don't know. Yeah, they don't know about it. And it Does it not extra- have any flavour then if it, it's... No, not if you're adding things like, you know, some mixed berries in yeah. there, a date, some ice. 
And it if it's frozen as well, it's it's raw, so it's yeah. the, its best form, right? No, no, no. I wouldn't say raw is definitely better. It? No, it's you know, get the frozen packs are pre cooked for you, aren't they? Are they pre cooked? Yeah, they're pre cooked. I did not know that. Yeah, yeah. That's you just put them in the microwave for a minute to defrost them, but they're already cooked. Amazing. Yeah. So again, that's a simple hack that you don't need to spend hours, you know, cooking or prepping. Buy it from your local supermarket, put in the in the freezer, and then smoothie time. Sneak one in. Our tips and takeaways from this would be a little bit. Make it easy. Make it accessible. Put your spoonful in your Cocoa Pops. Diversify. It's actually much more simple than it seems. And also, this is for a long-term thing. It's not something that you want to plonk in and overwrite everything you've already done before. It's about adding to it. Look at that. You could do my job for me. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. When it comes to microbiomes, my, like all these Scientific things, news. I was like, oh... But it's okay. You've you, you've done it in a really accessible way, which is why I think everyone loves you so much. Um, so the final three sentences that I would love you to complete are: being a parent means crazy love. I mean, would I you ex- would you allow anyone else to wake up in the middle of the night, throw food at your face, you know, chant tantrums? No, you wouldn't. But you still love them. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, it's not normal. Crazy love. (laughs) Yeah. If I could tell you one thing, it would be eat with your kids as much as you can. Role model. It's literally a game changer from day dot, even when they're just little babies and you don't think they're taking anything in. Snack in front of them. I always find that if on the rare occasions that we cook something different, they are eating off our plate. They always be like, "What? What is that?" (laughs) Like like we've given ourselves something special. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm happy when. I'm tickling Archie in the backyard and he's like hysterically laughing. It's just nothing. You know, that giggle when they're yeah. little, it's just, oh my God, the oxytocin hormone, the love hormone just like oozes from my body. I love it. Ah, it's gorgeous. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. I feel like I can literally ask you questions all day long. <laughs> um, <laughs> Who needs to do anything else today? <laughs>